I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as always, we got a lot of ground to cover in the fastest 60 minutes of radio. As we try to help you slow things down, divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation, connect the dots, and help you make the news make sense today. Uh, and there is so much of it going on today as we continue to look at what's happening in the uh, face of the pandemic, uh, the hope that is on the horizon as it relates to uh, vaccinations. Uh, of course, some of the uh, first were delivered in the UK yesterday. I thought it was significant that one of the uh, first two recipients was uh, William Shakespeare. That's always a good sign, I think, if you get Shakespeare involved. Uh, And so it'll be interesting to see how that continues to roll out there in the UK. Approval uh, here in the United States could come as early as tomorrow. And uh, very interesting, uh, both President Trump and President-elect Joe Biden uh, had both been looking at the same numbers in terms of how many uh, doses and how many vaccines could be administered uh, in the first 100 days in Jan- uh, starting in 2021. And they're both looking at about the same thing, about 100 million uh, folks that they hope to have vaccinated uh, over the next couple of months. And uh, that's great in terms of turning the corner. And it, it's really interesting to me to look at how all of this plays together, whether it's the, uh, the efficacy of a uh, vaccine, the willingness of people to get it, uh, and then how do we make sure that, uh, like with everything else, that we don't allow the political side of it all uh, to drive behavior or prevent behavior from happening that would be helpful to all of us as citizens? And that's a that's a really important thing to, to think through. Uh, really interesting. On this date in history, December 9th, 1979, uh, they officially declared that... Uh, Smallpox had been eradicated. So think about that. Uh, That's only 41 years ago. And, of course, the reason they were able to do that was because they had vaccines, that they had figured out how to administer those and work that through. Uh, And so it makes makes you wonder, uh, how will... How will this pandemic continue to play out? How will coronavirus uh, and COVID-19 play uh, over the long haul of history? Uh, will it be something that's short-lived? Uh, smallpox was a uh, a long-timer. I mean, that was around for centuries uh, and wreaked havoc in places all around the world at different uh, stage, stages and phases. And again, it was on this date, 
ironically, on this date in 1979, uh, that scientists declared the smallpox had been eradicated. Uh, so that's an interesting thing to think through uh, in terms of willingness. Are you willing to get uh, the vaccination? And do people engage in that? There's already been some people worrying out loud about the fact that it's a two-step process. Will people come back and get that second dose? If they don't, what does that mean? How does that play out? Uh, there's a lot of things happening there that we'll continue to to watch. And, and to me, the important thing in all of this is to recognize that we can follow science, we can follow faith, and we can have confidence in uh, government process as long as we can continue to have the process in public. That's the whole key. There has to be transparency uh, for trust to happen. Uh, and that leads us back to uh, the conversation that is still on the table back in Washington, D.C., and that regards uh, funding some relief for COVID-19. Uh, various bills are now being uh, orchestrated and different negotiations are going on. If you missed the program yesterday, we had my good friend uh, James Walner uh, dialing in uh, from R Street Consulting uh, back in Washington, D.C. Uh, he is a uh, probably one of the smartest people on the planet when it comes to the workings of Congress, the Senate in particular. And we were going back and forth as to what actually would be in this COVID-19 relief bill and the fact that nobody really knows. And we have little inklings here and there. We've had a few public statements about some of the things that may or may not be included, things that will be cut uh, uh, and left on the cutting room floor. But the, the fascinating thing to me is nobody really knows. And until those bills get introduced and put on the floor, then we end up with this problem. And the problem to me is one of the most significant problems we face when it comes to Congress. And while I applaud, absolutely applaud, all of the different negotiations that are going on, the bipartisan, bicameral work that's being done, I applaud that. We need more of that. Here's the problem. And here's what we all should be concerned about. As long as they are only holding these meetings behind closed doors, and I get it, you get away from the cameras and the grandstanding and all of that. That's good for negotiations. That's good for conversations. The problem when it comes to legislating is that often what happens is people will emerge from behind those closed doors and will either say the other side is being unreasonable, we've got nothing, or they can say, well, this is the best we can get. Neither of which of those statements we can really prove are true or false. And so that's the problem with being behind closed doors. The way the process is supposed to work is that the leaders, Nancy Pelosi in the House, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, they take that bill, they put it on the floor, they allow members, they allow members to debate it. They allow members to offer amendments to improve it, and they take votes. And all of that is supposed to happen in front of the American people, not behind closed doors. So I, I asked James Walner, I said, so how do we how do we deal with that issue that everything that's being done is being done by these little ad hoc meetings happening behind closed doors? Here's what he said. Well, the best way to do that is to have the members, the rank and file, demand that they put those bills on the floor. And the way to do that is to have voters and their constituents uh, tell their members that's what they want. 
I am under no illusion that if they were to put legislation on the floor either this week, last week, or even the week before, that it would pass the Senate and the House with an overwhelming vote. Mm. And that should tell us how broken the system is. So that tells us how broken the system is, uh, because we are not having those conversations in front of the American people. Uh, and again, so there's two there's two parts of responsibility. There's a responsibility for we the people to contact our members of Congress and say, we want you to get this thing on the floor and we want to see the debate. We want to hear the debate. We want to see what you're proposing and what your amendments are to improve it. And then we have to expect the members to do just that. If the members, Democrats and Republicans in both the House and the Senate went to their leaders and demanded that it be put on the floor, it would be put on the floor because either otherwise uh, both of those leaders would be out of jobs. Uh, so we, we have to expect that. But it starts with us as we the people. We've got to contact our representatives and saying, hey, just I know this may sound radical. We'd actually like to watch the process. We'd like to see you debate this. I want to know what your ideas are to make it better. I want to know what areas you have problems with or that you couldn't vote for. Let's have that debate. And then members also have to have the courage not to stand up, not to stand up to their enemies, but to stand up to their friends. And if we can get that kind of debate, we can have a different kind of government in Washington, D.C. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside. When we come back, our good friend, pollster Scott Rasmussen is going to join us. We're going to talk about this transition period we're in and what bodes for the country and for leadership coming up. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 